This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. Uh, Duffy's Tavern is first out of the gate tonight. Duffy's Tavern was a popular American radio situation comedy which ran for a decade on several networks. The program often featured celebrity guest stars but always hooked them around the misadventures, get-rich-quick schemes, and romantic missteps of the title establishment's malaprop-prone metaphor-mixing manager Archie, portrayed by Ed Gardner, the writer-actor who co-created the series. Owner Duffy was never heard nor seen. So let's find out what mischief Archie gets involved in tonight as we go back to 1951 and hear the episode, Duffy's Tea Room. Let's make it a happy party. Huh? Everybody yeah. join. Everybody Duffy's Tavern, where the elite meet the Archie the manager speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. What's new? Uh, nothing much. Your messenger just brought a package from that weight-reducing place. You know, the one that's been trying to take that blubber off your fat wife. <laughs> no. No, there's no message. Just a white flag. <laughs> huh? What else is new? Well, you know, Mrs. Piddleton... Well, Abigail is now worth a hundred thousand bucks, thanks to Italy. Uh-huh. Her third husband fell into Vesuvius. <laughs> Am I gonna console her? Duh. Better than that, Duffy. I'm gonna marry her. Why? I got a lot of reasons. A hundred thousand of them. <laughs> okay, so she ain't got legs like Betty Grable. She ain't even got legs like Harry James? <laughs> Look. For a hundred thousand bucks, I'll be in a position to gamble that long skirts come back. <laughs> huh? What'd you say about Mrs. Piddleton? She's got a face that would what? Duffy, on behalf of my future wife, I resent that. God, dear. A face that'd stop a sundial. Maybe it wouldn't stop it, but it'd sure slow it down. Oh, yeah? I'll brook no more of these slurs on Mrs. Piddleton's ugly face, Miss Duffy. In a short time, I'm going to be making love to her, and I'm trying to get in the mood. And it ain't easy. <laughs> Why don't you go practice over there? Practice? What do you mean? Rub noses with the moose head. Rub, <laughs> Rub noses with it. <laughs> That's a ridiculous comparison. Look at that moose head. Look at that long nose. Them bulging eyes. Them protruding teeth. <laughs> Darling! 
<laughs> My, what some men won't do for a hundred thousand dollars. It ain't the hundred thousand, it's the principal of the thing. <laughs> do the same thing for five hundred. <laughs> Besides, it might not be too bad. At least Abigail is sophisticated. You've got to say one thing. She knows plenty about this world. She ought to. She's been on it long enough. <laughs> uh, Archie, you ought to be ashamed. What do you mean? Marrying for money. Can you think of a better reason? How about love? I love money. <laughs> but what about Mrs. Pinnerton? You know what she thinks about taverns and saloon keepers? Well, I covered that, Fats. When I asked her to come down tonight, I told her that Duffy's is not a tavern. I'll go along with that. <laughs> I beg your pardon? I, I told her we are now a tea room. Tea room? Ain't she gonna be a little surprised when she gets that orange pico with a head on it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just tell her it's the tea that made Milwaukee famous. <laughs> Tea room. Look at that painting up on the wall. The painting? Oh, she's been up there for years. You, you think the picture's a little too daring? Well, it ain't Washington crossing the Delaware. <laughs> uh, better turn her around. We'll use it as a dart game. <laughs> now, what else can we do to tea room up the joint? Going down to the antique shop and picking up a spinning wheel. Miss Duffy, there will be no gambling. <laughs> now, leave us see if there's anything else objectionable that should be removed. Uh, oh. oh, hello, Finnegan. What you been doing all day? Oh, nothing much. Just sitting around in Cavendish's undertaking parlor. Oh. Wasn't you taking a chance? <laughs> no, no, I... Kept moving me arms around. <laughs> Joe, nobody brought up the question. Oh. Uh, nice atmosphere over there. Yeah, huh? Yeah. At least there's somebody to talk to. Who? Cavendish? No. Oh. Finnegan, <laughs> how come you hang around a place like that? Why not? Uh, look at all the fun I had there last Tuesday. Fun at Cavendish's? Oh, well, Yeah. It all started when I fell asleep in the back room. <laughs> and I had such a delightful surprise when I woke up. You did, huh? Yeah. All me best friends was looking down at me. <laughs> well, why didn't you get up? With eight pounds of gardenias on my chest? <laughs> Believe me, Arch, it was a proud moment, me like. Why proud? For the first time. I was guest of honor at a party. Finnegan, are you sure that this was a party? Of course. The big crowd was there. Some guy was playing the organ. Everybody was formal, including me. <laughs> and boy, you should have heard the compliments I received. Yeah, huh? what kind of compliments? Well, as they walked by... Everybody said I never looked better in me life. Finnegan, are you quite sure that they was complimenting you? Well, sure. Why else would they take me for that ride in the country? You had a nice ride, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. Only when we got to the picnic grounds, the party started getting a little rough. 
What do you mean? Well, uh, I didn't mind when some practical joker threw me in a hole. <laughs> and then he started throwing dirt in my face. <laughs> but when that guy reached in to yank off the tuxedo, that was going too far. <laughs> So what, what, what did you do? What did I do? I sat right up and I yelled out, Doctor, I am Clifton Finnegan. What did they do? They started throwing dirt in my face again. <laughs> Finnegan, why don't you go over in the corner and play alive? Oh, oh okay. Hey, fellas, wait for me. Oh, no. <clears throat> hey, that must be Mrs. Piddleton. Uh, hello, uh, Duffy's Tea Room. Mistress Archer speaking. Got it out. <clears throat> hello, uh, oh, it's you, Mrs. Piddleton. Look, uh, Abigail, my love, why ain't you here? You're about to take your beauty sleep? Uh, look, you think we got that much time? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just bursting to ask a certain question, Abigail. Yes, is a hundred thousand in cash or in bonds? <laughs> Miss Duffy, please. What, Abigail? Uh, what should you wear tonight? Uh, well, how about that, uh, that gray hat? Uh, you know, the one with the heavy veil. <laughs> you wish I was more of a family man? Well, look, ain't it enough that there'll be you and me and the hundred G's? <clears throat> you got to have a family man, huh? Well, I'll tell you what, Pity. Uh, stick on a bustle and come on down. We'll talk things over. Swell. Hey, Fats, I'm an expecting husband. How about playing the wedding march? Your wedding march? Yeah. I'm in the money. Fats! <laughs> that is not a wedding march. Now play something else. Down in Louisiana, there's a boy who plays the piano, plays it like you never heard before. He's got a face strong and mellow, when he laughs, he shakes like jello, weighs around 244. And when he plays, it sounds swell, they stand around and beat their feet and clap their hands and yell, Brother Fats, play me a tune, Brother Fats, play it real soon. Play it like you never, ever played it before. Take it from the intro and then play it once more. Brother Fats, Brother Fats, play that melody. Play it on the bottom. Play it on the top. Play it in the middle. Don't you ever stop. I want to hear those big hand pounds any time that I'm around. Brother Fats. Play me that tune, Brother Fats Play it real soon Play it like you never, ever played it before Take it from the intro and play it once more Brother Fats, Brother Fats Play that melody Fats, that was great. I think I'll let you play at me wedding. Is there any money in it? There is for me. <laughs> Mr. Ar <laughs> Mr. Archie, you know there ain't gonna be no wedding. Why not? You heard what Miss Piddleton said on the phone. She's looking for an old, substantial family type. Well, I'm 
Always been a home-loving man. Yeah, but who were you home-loving? Mr. <laughs> Duffy, despite what some people infer, I can quite often be found dabbling around in the kitchen. Only because you take your bath in the sink. <laughs> yeah, but when I'm taking a bath, I'm still washing dishes. <clears throat> anyway, what makes you such an authority on family life? Because Papa set such a wonderful example. Every night he comes home, flings open the door, and then you know what he does? Falls flat on his face. I'm not speaking of holidays. <laughs> he calls out to Mama, Where is my fat angel? He calls her angel, huh? Yeah. That's probably just wishful thinking. That's your opinion. But after all these years, Papa says Mama is the most beautiful woman in the world and that he wouldn't give up a single acre. <laughs> oh, they were certainly made for each other. Yeah, hands just fit perfect around his throat. <laughs> hmm. Archie, they haven't had a fight in years. Oh, occasionally they may quarrel over something like, say, pipe smoking in the living room. So Mama gives in. She smokes on the back porch. Well, I hope my bride will be more compatible. Uh, by the way, Finnegan. Uh, yeah. I... Has Mrs. Pendleton showed up yet? Is she about four feet tall and wearing short pants? Certainly not. Oh, then in that case, your little nephew just come in. Oh, well, it is me little nephew, Morton. <laughs> Morton, I guess you just couldn't stay away from your old Uncle Archie, hmm? Uncle Archie, I find you tedious, odious, despicable, and disreputable. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, kids always love me. <laughs> but, uh, Morton, how come you ain't at school? Remember, Uncle, you did my homework for me? Yeah. That's why I'm not at school. <laughs> oh, well, uh, make yourself to home, Morton. Uh, by the way, you, you remember Finnegan, don't you? Indubitably. Huh? <laughs> Well, a lot of people have a bad memory for faces. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll have to make the introductions all over again. Uh, Morton, this is Clifton Finnegan. Delighted. Uh, uh, thanks. Glad to meet you, too. No, no. Uh, pleased to make your acquaintance? No, no. Uh, likewise, I'm sure... That's the one. That's the one. Good. Ah, you still ought to get along great together. Uh, what do you think of Mr. Finnegan, Morton? Well, as Professor Hooten of Harvard would say, he's probably of human origin. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, Morton. Don't go by what outsiders say. <laughs> Finnegan, that was a compliment. Oh. Well, uh, Morton, how's it uh, feel to be back in a tavern? I can answer that by asking you a question. What? Did I see a snake just pull its head in that bottle? Or is it merely the airway going down for the third time? Very clever, Morton. Uh, too bad I ain't got a son like you. Uh, now, wait a minute. Mrs. Pendleton wants a family, man. So? Morton, my son. What? Finnegan, meet me new son. Yeah, he looks just like Morton. <laughs> I am Morton. Oh, well, that explains your resemblance. <laughs> Uncle Archie, you mean I'm to help foster this delusion by impersonating your offspring? I ain't asking you to do that. I'm just asking you to call me Pop. That's all. Uh, but, but what about Mrs. Pendleton? What about her? 
Won't she get wise that the kid is artificial? <laughs> Not at all. I'll be honest with her. I'll just tell her the kid is a result of a distant marriage. <laughs> Well, Martin, uh, what do you say? Would you like me for a father? Well, in these days, I suppose you have to take what you can get. <laughs> Look, Martin, don't think of it as gaining a father. Think of it as losing an uncle. <laughs> well, now, that makes it a little more attractive. <laughs> I knew you'd see it my way, kid. Okay, Martin, you're now my new son. What price heredity? <laughs> Mr. Archie, you ain't gonna fool Mrs. Pilton with that father stuff. What do you know about being a father? Well, I never raised no kids of my own, but what's the thought? When they're babies, you give them a bottle. When they're little kids, you give them a lollipop. And when they're in the teens, you give them ice cream. And when they're grown up, back to the bottle again. <laughs> hey, Archie Dame is just coming through the door. Sideways? Yeah. That must be Mrs. Piddleton. Fats. Yeah. Kindly announce Mrs. Piddleton. Okay. <laughs> uh, Fats, don't be such a wise guy. Archie, you dear, dear boy. Well, welcome to our tea room, Mrs. Piddleton. Or may I call you Abigail? <laughs> oh, please, no. Uh, lover? Oh, no, no. Wife? Oh, no. Try a mother. <laughs> We'll uh, save the name call until after we're married, but I'm forgetting the jovialities here. First, Mrs. Piddleton, may I express my heartiest condolences on your late demented husband? Well, Archie, Hiram was a fine man, and no one can say he wasn't thoughtful enough. To die? <laughs> Certainly not. I mean, he left me quite well off. Oh, but I'm finding out that even money has its worries. Abigail, leave me share your worries. <laughs> Archie, I think it's a little too late for us. Years ago, we should have met. Just think. We could have spent our time attending symphonies, going to the opera, enjoying chamber music, listening to lectures. Well, maybe it's just as well a pace like that would have burned us out by now. <laughs> Excuse me. Hello? Huh? Oh. Okay. Mrs. Piddleton, we got to get married right away. Now, who was that on the telephone? The finance company. <laughs> Archie, are you only interested in me for my money? Oh, perish forbid. Now, come on, uh, leave us hold hands here in the corner booth, and I'll show you. Uh, Fats, uh, put out the lights. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hi, Abigail. You look good in this light. <laughs> oh, dear boy. You're such a flatterer. Leave me hold your hand. My goodness. Your hand is much smoother than I expected. Archie, you're holding my alligator bag. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, tell me, Abigail, uh, would it uh, startle you if I was to suggest that we make a few advances? Whatever do you mean? 
Would you like to advance me a few bucks against that hundred grand? I beg your pardon? <clears throat> Not ready yet, huh? <clears throat> okay, uh, leave us do it the romantic way. Uh, Abigail, you are the loot of my... I mean, the love of my life. <clears throat> and now I have a little surprise for you. Close your eyes. All right. Archie, take your hands out of that alligator bag. <laughs> Abigail, I resent your inference. Are you suggesting that I, the manager of a prosperous tea room, would stoop to filch you for a couple of crass bucks? Well, that's another thing, Archie. What? In this tea room. What about it? You don't fool me a bit. In what respect? Well, tea rooms have, have lace curtains and dainty furniture and vases on the floor with flowers. Well, our vases used to hold flowers, too, but the tobacco juice killed them. <laughs> And, and another thing, the tea rooms have gypsy fortune tellers who read tea leaves. Well, we got a gypsy fortune teller, too. Really? Where is she? Well, she happens to be out at the moment buying some bifocals so she can read the smaller leaves. Say, Archie. Well, speak of the devil if it ain't Gertie the gypsy. What? I am so glad you have returned, gypsy fortune teller. Oh. I am the gypsy. And I know many things, for I walk by night. Gertie, I know please stick to the tea leaves. Never mind what you do by night. <laughs> well, uh, go ahead, Abigail. Give her your teacup. Very well. Tell me, Gypsy, what do you see in the tea leaves? A fly. <laughs> That must have been left over from the consomme. <clears throat> now, continue, Gypsy. Do the tea leaves say what handsome, debonair gent will marry Mrs. Fiddleton? Well, let's see. Ooh, yeah, how to, to fong, kung wa. What's that? Chinese tea. <laughs> well, uh, try to translate as you go along. <clears throat> Very well. I see a young man in the tea leaves. Yes. He is very tall. Yes. And very handsome. Yes. He has bushy eyebrows and thick glasses. Why, Rodney Haybinder, what are you doing in there? Stuffy, stop trying to louse me up, will you? I've had enough of this. You're deceitful and greedy and just after my money. I'm leaving this place. Now, wait a minute, Mrs. Peddleton. So, so the place ain't no tea room. And Miss Duffy ain't no gypsy. And I am to an extent after your dough. But it ain't for my own vile purposes. It's just that I was... Well, I was sort of thinking of the kid. The kid? Yeah. My little son, Morton. Archie, you a father? Did I let it slip? <laughs> but, um... But where, where is the mother? Well, I'm sorry you brought that up. It's a pretty sad story. Oh, what happened to her? She was killed in the crash of 29. <laughs> so you see, uh, Morton ain't like other kids. Why, oh, I, I don't say it's his fault. I guess he just inherited it from me. What's the matter with him? He's a genius. <laughs> Studies day and night. Always under a microscope. 
so you're a family man after all. Well, for the moment, yes. <clears throat> but Morton may not be with us very long. Why not? We can't afford the operation. What operation? Doctor says the kid's got to be operated on for the pickets. <laughs> the what? The pickets. Uh, malnutrition, you know. <laughs> got it from eating too much scurvy. <laughs> As I say, we ain't got the money for the operation. Oh, well, if this is the case, perhaps I ought to reconsider. Uh, by the way, who is your doctor? Hey, doctor, let's see. What is his name again? Uh... I am the gypsy. Not you I'm... this time. <laughs> uh, the doctor is uh, Dr. Slaughter. I'm expecting him any minute. Uh, will you excuse me? Hey, Finnegan. Uh, yeah. Finnegan, uh, could you be an M.D.? An M.D.? Oh, sure. Good. What does it mean? <laughs> In your case, it means mentally deficient. <laughs> now, you got it, Finnegan? I got it, Art. Okay. Who are you? Don't be silly. You've known me for years. Please, try to remember. Yeah. You're Dr. Slaughter. Dr. Clifton Slaughter. Ph.D. L.L.D. M.D. You don't have to spell it out, Art. <laughs> I figured I'd be on the safe side. Now, now, what do you do first? Uh, I take out the kid's pulse. No. no. You think, don't take his pulse out. You, you just take them. Where? In a thermometer. Oh. Then you look through your stethoscope to see if he has any symptoms of cardiacs in his heart, see? But what if I find a couple, Arch? Well, then you simply say, this boy has Aunt Jemima pectoris. <laughs> In other words, the white corp suckles is eating the red corp suckles. Uh, look, uh, this is an awful lot to remember. Couldn't we just break the kid's arm? <laughs> don't louse me up again. Well, don't I... worry. Uh, just depend on me. I won't let you down. Promise? Promise. Man to beast? Man to beast. <laughs> oh, Morton. Yes, Uncle Archie. Uncle Archie, no. Pop. Okay. Pop. All right. Now, remember, you, you act like you're anemic, see? Anemic? Yeah, you can't remember a thing. <laughs> and I want you to tip your mitt. Uh, uh, Mrs. Piddleton. Yes, Uncle. Uh, Mrs. Piddleton, I would like you to meet my son, and I hope the future heir to our fortune. <clears throat> Hello, Mrs. Peddleton. My, what a fine young man. And where were you born? Chicago. New York. <laughs> New York. Chicago. <laughs> In two cities? His mother was traveling at the time. <laughs> I see. And um, how old is he? Ten. Twelve. Twelve. Ten. And uh, how do you explain that? He lost two years changing schools. <laughs> yep, Mrs. Piddleton, that's the story. I've been both father and mother for this little trike. Sending him through school. Massaging his little brain before examinations. Washing his little pantaloons by candlelight. Mm, Morton, you should be very proud of your father. I am of my father. 
But that jerk. Uh, <clears throat> Mrs. Brown, you see, no memory. Suspicious anemia, Asia. Uh, I think we'd better have the doctor look at him right away. Uh, calling Dr. Slaughter. Calling Dr. Slaughter. Calling Dr. Slaughter. Benning, that's you. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, I am Dr. Slaughter. Well, glad to see you again, Doc. You just got here in the nick of time. Yeah, she looks terrible. <laughs> The patient is Morton over there. Oh, 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 uh, well, in that case, let me take out my thermometer. Just a minute, doctor. Uh, that is a stethoscope. No wonder it won't fit in his mouth. <laughs> uh, look, doc, uh, what do you want the kid to do? You want him to stick out his tongue? Why, is he mad at me? <laughs> oh, gee, what's the matter with this doctor? Well, he's a little dizzy. He spent the last six months testing cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, uh, Doctor, what is your professional opinion of this case? Uh, well, sir, uh, I just checked the boy's pulse against my pulse. Yes? One of us is dead. <laughs> doctor, you mean... Yes, sir. An immediate operation on the Rita. But I ain't got no money for Rita. And if a certain lady does not say I do, before I count three, well, afraid we'll just have to hit the kid over the head with the bone starter. Now, look, this has gone far enough, Uncle Archie. Ooh. Uncle Archie! Huh? Why, you give me that bone starter. Now, wait a minute, please, Mrs. Pendleton. Ouch! Ouch, me head! Good night! Oh, Morton. Morton, you dirty little crumb. On account of you, I've lost $100,000. Uncle Archie, don't think of it as losing $100,000. What? Think of it as gaining a son. Drop dead! <laughs> Stay tuned for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, next up on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zuma Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Judging from your emails and letters, this next show is definitely one of your favorites. So, here we go with Edmund O'Brien in Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, in the episode, The Costain Matter. John Lund as... Johnny Dollar. Hi, Johnny. Shelley Thomas in Federal. You're up early today. I've already been at my desk for two hours. How'd you like to work on one for me? What's it about? In cold, hard claim cash, it comes to exactly $12,482.16. That's interesting. What does it mean? Somebody's been filching a lot of merchandise over in Toledo, and it's beginning to hurt. Could you get over there and have a look around? Sure. Well, it sounds like a police job to me. Well, I don't expect any miracles, Johnny. I just want a good factual report on the whole business for my clients. See you in an hour. John Lund in the transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Federal Insurance and Claims Adjusters, 2044 Appalachian Drive, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Costain matter. Expense account item one, $49.15. Plane fare and incidentals, Hartford to Toledo. En route, I read over the details concerning the case. 37 stolen merchandise claims have been filed and paid off in what looked like a first-class shoplifting epidemic in Toledo. I parked my two bags at the Commodore Perry Hotel and went over to the main police station. A Lieutenant Sturgis was in charge. Sit down, sit down. Thanks. Federal Insurance and Claims Justice, huh? That's right. You're here to find out what we've been doing about all the shoplifting, is that it? Well, we represent the insurance companies who've had to pay off on these theft claims. Yeah, sure, I see. Well, uh, where do you want to start? Well, let me see. How about this mommy dress shop, Lieutenant? Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. Uh, February 10th. Proprietor, Mrs. Bancroft, registered a complaint with us that a dress and a coat were missing from the storax. He's... Yeah. Well, we went over there and talked to her about it. Made out the report as another shoplifting job and put a description of the coat and the dress in the hot sheet. Mm-hmm. Dress wholesaled at $113. Coat had a fur trim. Went at $395. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looked a little better than most shoplifting jobs to us. We had it in mind when we got another complaint three days later from a place over on Oak Avenue. That'd be, uh, Milady's Shoppy. Yeah. Uh, Negligee and a silk robe. Yeah, we covered that one, too. Both of them came to $286. Yeah, same thing as a mommy. Clerks hadn't seen anyone, didn't know anything. The week of the 15th, we had two more complaints. On the 23rd, three complaints. They've been coming in regular ever since. Until the last one was three days ago. Always the best stores, always expensive merchandise. We rounded up every known shoplifter in our files, and we've had our store personnel at all of our lineups. No one's been able to make an identification so far. First, we thought it was a plain, expert shoplifting done by a well-organized gang. Looks that way. Not so much anymore. Did you notice on your list there that all of these items are for a woman? Yeah. Yeah, dresses, coats, blouses, cosmetics, millinery, costume jewelry, and so on. Now, what we didn't pick up until about a month ago is that all of the articles of clothing that have been taken are for a woman who wears a size 10 dress. Hmm. That is a funny one. Yeah, and it rules out a gang right away. There's pattern to it, but... I'm going to have someone else tell you about that. Yes, Lieutenant? Let's see if Sergeant Beidler's in. Right. 99 times out of 100, a shoplifter will take anything he or she can get her hands on regardless of cost, size, color, or anything else. So we don't think this is the work of an old-timer either. You mean somebody's just gathering up a nice wardrobe at my insurance company's expense? Something like that. If any of these stolen articles have been sold or disposed of, we'd have a lead by now. The stuff has been on the hot sheet for months. We've covered pawn shops, secondhand store. Yes? Sergeant Bidler on two. Right. Hello, Sergeant. How's it going? Fine, thanks, Lieutenant. Uh, there's a man in my office named Dollar. I'm sending him down to see you. Women in the department reacted a little differently than the men to all this. How's that, Sergeant? Well, when they went over the stolen property sheets, they were first impressed, of course, by the fact that all of the clothing was for someone who wore a size 10. 
The other thing, though, was the good taste. Well, a lot of thieves have good taste, I suppose. This one seems to have not only good taste, but a pretty exclusive taste. You mean the expensive places that have been robbed? Well, that. But even more. You see here. Uh-huh. On March 4th, one green suede coat missing from Toll's apparel shop and here on the 13th. A brown organdy dress from the Commodore and here. Cocoa-colored sports coat. Yeah? Hats and gloves in green and brown, beige, sometimes yellow. No other colors. Well, what does it mean? Any woman who restricts herself to these particular colors in dressing, green, brown, beige, cocoa, yellow, must have a very definite coloring of her own. We think a redhead with green eyes. Well, you know best about that. But uh, why green eyes? Couldn't they be blue or brown? <laughs> yes, they could be. But there's been a particular emphasis on green in the coats and dresses that have been stolen. And besides that, there's the cosmetics. Did you cover Jaegers? Jaegers? Um, let me see. No. Jaegers well, is a very plush cosmetic store here. Nothing but perfume and makeup. They reported March 2nd, a whole box of green eyeshadow had been stolen from one of their counters. And green eyeshadow only goes with green eyes? Yes. Whereas blue eyeshadow would fit a person with either blue or brown eyes. Now, at the same time the eyeshadow was taken, several tubes of lipstick and rouge were also stolen. Both of those items contained orange tinting. That gives us another reason for thinking the eyes are green. I'm convinced. <laughs> a redhead with green eyes. Oh, and it's a short hair, too. It is? <laughs> look at my hair. I am, Sergeant. With a short hairdo like mine, I'd look rather ridiculous in a big picture hat that requires a hair frame. But a small hat, one with a tight contour, would be all right. Hey, I'm coming around. The case millinery story. Yes. Four hats. Total value, $185? Yes, those hats that were taken from cases were small, especially designed for a woman with a short hairdo. We think that some of the costume jewelry that's been stolen ties in with the clothes, too. Uh-huh. Well, how does it stand right now? We've had our troubles on this one. It's impossible to tie up the manpower it would require to cover every dress and apparel shop in town, not to mention the department stores. Sure, sure. We're doing the next best thing. No store has been taken a second time, so we've spotted a dozen policewomen from my department and as many stores around town that still hasn't been hit. And they're closing as clerks. How long has this been going on? Since Monday. Maybe we'll get a lead this way. Yeah. Sergeant, this is just a wild one, but suppose a red-headed woman with green eyes isn't doing it after all. Suppose somebody's doing it for her. We've thought of that, and it looks like a possibility. None of the personnel we've questioned in any of these stores has been able to say definitely whether or not they saw anyone with red hair on the premises or around the shop to fit the time incident of the particular robbery. I see. And there's another thing we're working on, too, beauty shops. Oh, She's a redhead, and she's got all of these expensive clothes. It's a good bet she keeps herself up. You know, has her hair and nails done regularly. Yeah. We've covered about 50 different beauty salons in town, the best ones. Told them the kind of woman we're looking for and given them an idea of what she'll be wearing. Well, if she's still in town, something should break pretty soon. I'd like to go over the original complaints, if it's possible. Main filings on the second floor. Ask for Sergeant Kelly, and he'll give you what you want. I'll do that. Thanks a lot.
After a full day and a half of studying the crime reports, I wholeheartedly agreed with Lieutenant Sturgis and Sergeant Beidler. Since none of the stolen articles had appeared in any of the usual places for disposal, I was convinced it was not the work of an organized gang or of a previous offender. All clothing that had been taken was the same size and a small variety of colors. And, as Sergeant Beidler had pointed out, suited only to a certain type of woman with definite physical characteristics. Red hair, green eyes. Johnny Dollar. I think we've got something here. What? The lead on one of the coats. I met Lieutenant Sturgis in the police garage, and we drove over to Toll's apparel shop on West Oak Street. One of the clerks there had phoned in and reported she'd seen a woman wearing a green suede coat that had been stolen from the store a month before. The clerk's name was Alice Emerson. I'm sure it was the coat. Well, how can you be sure of that, Mrs. Emerson? Well, it was the only one like it in the entire store. Uh-huh. And as far as I know, in Toledo, it, it had a gathering at the back and gold buttons. I just knew that coat the minute I saw it on her. I just knew it. Oh, this was about a half an hour ago, you say? Yes, I was on my lunch hour, and I was eating at the Westgate. The cafeteria? Yes. She was about three people ahead of me in the line. I didn't remember at first that the coat had been from us, but when I sat down to lunch, I recalled it. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know what to do exactly. Then I thought, well, I'd better make sure it is the coach, you know. I wouldn't want to make trouble for uh, what, anyone. What did you do? Well, she had a table over by the wall eating her lunch alone. So I finished my lunch, and I walked over near her, and I took a good look at the coat. <laughs> it was our coat, all right. The one that was taken from that rack over there. I was going right out on the street and call a policeman, but I guess she got a little suspicious of me looking at her the way I did, and she got up and left. What did she look like, Mrs. Emerson? Oh, she was a nice-looking woman. About my size, 30 or so. Very nice. What color was her hair? Dark. Very dark. Dark? Black, you mean? Or dark brown. I don't know which. Did you happen to notice the color of her eyes? No, no, I didn't, but she wore glasses. Horn-rimmed. You're certain it's the same coat? I'm positive. Have you ever seen a woman before? No, never. At least I don't think I have. Nothing familiar about her at all? No. Did you happen to notice which direction she went in when she left the cafeteria? No, I, I don't know where she went. She just got into a taxi cab. I went with Lieutenant Sturgis to the offices of the taxi cab company that covered Metropolitan Toledo. There we began checking the way bills as they came in. Since less than an hour had elapsed from the time Mrs. Emerson called in, we didn't have to go through too many of them. At the intersection of Oak and Westgate, which was right in front of the cafeteria, cab number 418 had carried a fare to a hotel apartment house called the Colonial on the east side of town, Yondota Street. We spoke with the driver of the cab on the phone when he checked into the office. He remembered the fare. A woman in a green suede coat. Try that. Yeah. Hello, can I help you? Police. Oh? Now, sometime in the last hour, a cab brought a woman to this address. We'd like to talk to her. She's about 5'4", uh, about 30, dark hair, wearing a green suede coat. You know? Well, uh, let's see. Four horn rim glasses? Well, I've got 175 apartments here. Uh, 
Wait, a, a green suede coat? Yeah. Oh, Miss Jones. Jones, huh? Yes, Lillian Jones. She just checked in two days ago. Alone? Yes. What apartment is she in? Uh, 1429. Shall I ring her? No, no, never mind. We'll just go on up. From the description we gave the desk clerk at the Colonial Apartments, he identified our suspect as Lillian Jones, apartment 1429. She'd come in approximately 20 minutes before we'd arrived. As far as the clerk knew, she was still in her apartment. We took the self-service elevator up to the 14th floor. Well, it'll be down this way. Hey, wait. 1410, then it goes to 21. Yeah. Oh, the corridor. Oh, yeah. Lillian Jones? What do you want? Police. I'd like to talk to you. Oh, just a minute. May we come in? We can talk here. It'll be easier inside. Here's all right for me. Let's go inside, Miss Jones. Okay. What's this all about? A woman who works at Toll's apparel shop saw you in the Westgate cafeteria at lunchtime today. She said you were wearing a coat that was stolen from them. She's a liar. I don't even know where Toll's apparel shop is. She was pretty certain about it. I've been here all day. I had my lunch here. Anybody with you? What do you mean? Did you eat alone? Sure, I ate alone. Miss Jones... We can get the woman from Toes to come over here and identify you. Say, listen. And we can get the cab driver who brought you here to identify you, too. It'd all be lying. I've been here all day. You prove it? Sure, I can prove it. Clerk downstairs said you just came in about 20 minutes ago. He's lying, too. It's a green suede coat. You have a green suede coat? No. Listen, you just get out of there. Where's the coat, Miss Jones? I don't know what coat you're talking about. A green suede coat. Now, what'd you do with it? I don't have a green suede coat. Do you have any objection to our looking around? You bet I have. All right, we'll get a search warrant. I'm afraid you'll have to come with us, Miss Jones. I'm not going anywhere with anybody. Get out of here. Get out of my apartment. I'll make plenty of trouble for the both of you. Come on, Miss Jones. Lillian Jones had a record of one previous arrest two years before. The charge, grand theft. She'd been released for lack of evidence. Her profession was listed as a domestic the sales lady from Toll's apparel shop appeared and positively identified her as the woman she had spotted in the Westgate cafeteria wearing the stolen coat. The cab driver who'd driven her from the intersection of Westgate and Oak to the Colonial Apartments was called in. He also identified her. She still refused to admit anything, maintaining that she hadn't left her apartment all day. Lieutenant Sturgis took a detail of men to her place to search the premises. I stayed with Sergeant Beidler while she questioned Lillian Jones. Why won't you tell us what you did with the coat, Lillian? I don't know what coat you're talking about. Honest, I don't. Mrs. Emerson saw you wearing it at the cafeteria today. The cab driver saw you wearing it. The clerk at your apartment desk saw you wearing They're it. They're all liars. I don't own a green suede coat. 
You people have no right to hold me like this and ask me all these questions. I haven't done anything. What did you do with the coat? There isn't any coat. Where'd you hide it? I want a lawyer. Can I call a lawyer? Tell us about the coat. You stole it from Toll's apparel shop on March 4th. Isn't that right? I don't know anything about Toll's apparel shop. I told you. It's on Oak Street. I'll drop in and say hello sometime. What about the other thing? What other thing? You know what we're talking about, Lillian. Why don't you get it off your chest? We'll find out sooner or later. <gasps> Who are you working with? I want a lawyer. Where's it hidden? I want a lawyer. You can make a statement now and save yourself a lot of trouble. I want a lawyer. We continue to question Lillian Jones regarding the green suede coat. She denied ever having such a coat in her possession. However, at 3.45 that afternoon, Lieutenant Sturgis returned with his detail of men. They had found the coat, stuffed into a clothes hamper. I took it over to the shop, and the people there positively identified it as the one stolen on March 4th. Yeah? Yeah, it had their label and one of their stock tags in the pocket. Well, that should do it. I don't know what we've uncovered here, though. There wasn't anything else in the apartment to fit any of the other thefts. Yeah? Well, you can hold her on this. Oh, sure. I'll have her booked in right away. Lillian Jones was charged with grand theft. Before she was taken to the main jail, she admitted that she had stolen the coat. But not from the apparel shop. From the home of a family by the name of Costain. She said she'd been employed there for two weeks as a domestic servant. Mr. Costain was a civil engineer with offices in downtown Toledo. They informed us that he'd already left for his home. So we drove out there to interview him. It was a large, 12-room place on the edge of town. A servant took us into the living room. A few moments later, a tall, gray-haired man in his early 50s made an appearance. I'm Mr. Costain. I'm Lieutenant Sturgis, Mr. Costain. This is Mr. Dollar. How do you do? Police? That's right. I hate to bother you around dinner time like this. Quite all right. Sit down, please. Thanks. Uh, we're holding a woman downtown named Lillian Jones, Mr. Costain. I understand you employed her at one time. Lillian Jones? Oh, the maid, yes. Is she in trouble? We're just checking her story. I see. She was in possession of a green suede coat at the time we took her in, Mr. Costain. Mm-hmm. She insists that she took the coat from your home. Why would she say a thing like that? We don't know. We thought maybe you could clear that up. I have no idea what she's talking about. I fired her last Tuesday, I believe it was. That was the last I saw of the woman. Was she very angry when you fired her? Not particularly. It's just that she didn't work out here very well. I gave her two weeks' pay, told her to go. It's a green suede coat with gold buttons down the front. I don't know where she got it, I'm sure, but I know she didn't get it here. Funny she'd tell us she stole it from here? Yes, it is. I don't know why. Is uh, Mrs. Costain at home? Mrs. Costain passed away last February. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you have a daughter? No. Well, we have to check into all these things, you know. Oh, I understand. I wish I could help you. Well, you can if you will, Mr. Costain. How's that? Would you mind dropping into my office tomorrow and taking a look at the coat? I don't know what good that would do, but I'd be glad to do it. You just might recognize it. Perhaps it belonged to Mrs. Costain. Possibly. Although I don't remember it. Room 212 in the main building. All right, Lieutenant. I'll be there in the morning. Bye. Sorry to have bothered you, but I'm not at all. Good night. Good night. Good night. 
You see it? The color print on the piano? Yeah. A red-headed woman with green eyes. A check in the neighborhood revealed that the Costains had been living in Toledo less than a year. Before that, they'd lived in Detroit. Financially, they were in the upper income bracket. The house was completely paid for. There were two expensive late-model cars in the garage. The Office of Vital Statistics informed us that Mrs. Costain had died on February 6th of a heart condition. It also noted that her hair had been red, her eyes green. Lieutenant Sturgis, robbery. Oh, yes, of course. I see. Well, are you going to be home? Bye. Arnold Costain. Yeah? Yeah, he just changed his story. He said he did know that Lillian Jones stole that coat when she left the house. You give any reason for not admitting it when we were there? No, just wants to see us. I'm afraid I've caused you some trouble on this. We don't quite understand why you didn't tell us about it last night. It's rather simple, probably rather silly. I have a devil of a time keeping servants here for some reason. If a note has gotten the paper, I'd accuse one of them of theft. Well, I'd have a difficult time getting another one there that way. A coat's worth over $600, Mr. Costain. Yes, I know. It belonged to my wife. And you let it go like that? Oh, I'm insured for personal loss. Did you report this to your insurance broker? Oh, yes. Did you file a claim? Yes. What's your broker's name? Mr. LeBanch. He has offices in the Metropolitan Building. When did you report the loss? On Wednesday. You mind if I call him and check this? I don't see why that's necessary. I've just told you what I did about the matter. Oh, we're still puzzled, Mr. Costain. That coat was reported stolen from Toll's apparel shop last March 4th. Hmm. That's absurd, of course. Mrs. Costain bought that coat for herself a week or so before her illness. Did she handle it or did you? What do you mean? Well, did she pay for it or, or were you billed? I... I suppose I was billed. I don't recall. Are you insinuating that Mrs. Costain might have stolen that coat? No, Mr. Costain. Your wife was already dead when that coat was stolen. Oh, no. You're wrong. What do you mean? Edna's not dead. She'll come back. And when she does, when she does, I'll have all these things for her, the things I denied her before. Denied her? Yes. I always told Edna she was too extravagant, that she didn't need all those expensive things. Well, you, you could have bought them. Why did you steal them? I always denied her the things she loved. When Edna went away, I don't know what came over me. I mean, the loneliness seemed too much somehow. And I'd go out during the day from my office and wander through the stores, stores that she used to love very much. And whenever I had the opportunity, I stole the things she always wanted. What did you do with them? They're in Edna's bedroom hanging in her wardrobe. Would you like to see them? 
Expense account item two, $75.25, board and room while in Toledo. Item three, $62, miscellaneous. Item four, $41.10, plane fare back to Hartford. Expense account total, $227.50. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars John Lund in the title role and was written by E. Jack Newman with music by Milton Charles. Featured in tonight's cast were Hal March, High Averback, Edgar Barrier, Virginia Gregg, Mary Lansing, and Peggy Weber. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Charles Lyon inviting you to join us again next week at this same time when, from Hollywood, John Lund returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Great Gildersleeve, followed by X-1. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.